With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Back Nine Report. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. In other words, if it happened in golf, we have it for you. My name is Carlos Torres. Every week, I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Alvader. Fred, this is the first show of the decade. The first Batman <laughs> report. I'm pumped. Let's do it. Let's do it. We are closing in on a decade of doing this show, believe it or not. I think this, uh, uh, at Masters Week, that will be this, the end of our seventh year, starting our eighth year um, of doing this, and it's always a blast. We we still love it. But, hey, Christmas and New Year's break is over. Golf is back in full swing. And the Back Nine Report is ready to cover all the news, information, give our opinion. We all, we have a lot of opinions. We don't hold back on those. Uh, we even have the occasional rant. Uh, and we talk about what all this information means for the average golfer. That's, that's what we do. Uh, we're just a couple of hacks ourselves, and, and we love to talk about the game and and um, we, we are happy for our listeners to, to tune in and, and listen to our, our rants and our rambles and carrying on and all that stuff. So, Carlos, it was great to have a short break, but I always look forward to talking golf with you and Kieran when he's on the show. Uh, did you make any New Year's resolutions this year, Carlos? Last year, you were going to, last year, I remember, you said you were going to push yourself, you're going to do some table push ups. Uh, did, did we do any of those? Uh, where are we at this year? Yeah, I had a resolution that I moved up to this year, so I I I postponed them. I had to, to make a little little move, you know. And it, it, but it's for this year. And I, it's a perfect a delay? year for it. Twenty twenty. Yeah, okay. Know. So it's a All delay. Right. Right. I know I, I got hit with some delay of game, but it's <laughs> I, I'm, I'm working. All right. Hey, this week in golf, Justin Thomas started the year with a win in Hawaii. PGA Tour is set to ink some new TV contracts with the networks. Tiger gets a new gig at Pebble Beach. And as always, we have a lot of golf to talk about, Carlos. So let's go. Let's do it. Let's go right away. And as usual, we start recapping the weekend's action. And that's on the weekend backspin. And there was one tournament we want to talk about, and that is the opening, the first one on the PGA Tour on 2020. And that was the Century Tournament of Champions, where Justin Thomas beat Patrick Reed and Sander Shoffley to win it for the second time. He won it back in 2017. And when he was asked about how he would describe his 12th PGA Tour victory, he said, oh, that's a relief. <laughs> after he hit his second shot into the penalty area on the last hole to bogey and lose his one-stroke lead. It looked like he was going to be the winner. I mean, that was after bogeying the 16th, 
as well in what was a brilliant round. Really, you can say it feel like he let that one get away from him. Still, he got the W, thanks to a birdie on the third play of hole. After Shoffley was eliminated on the first extra hole, Patrick Reed failed to make birdie on the second and third extra holes. So JT shot a closing four under par 69 with seven birdies and three bogeys. For Shoffley, this could have been his career victory number five on the PGA Tour and his first once he gets that 54-hole lead. So he doesn't seem to be a good closer so far. But that, he kept himself in the conversation with those birdies that he made at 13, 14, and 15. It can definitely offer him a positive and prove for himself that, like he said after the tournament, he can hang with the tour's best. Patrick Reed, my gosh, um... He lamented the one that got away. <laughs> he made his own good luck. He was putting like crazy. He had a strong charge on Sunday. He had 45 one putts for the week, which was 13 more than any other player in the field. I mean, he had the hot putter, but he also heard all demons. I mean, there was a fan that yelled out, cheater, after he struck his birdie putt, which ultimately missed there in the final play of hole. Ah, that's going to be a long year for Patrick. That's not going to be the last time he'll hear that. Rounding up the top 20 were Patrick Cantley, solo fourth at 11 under, then Ricky Fowler and Joaquin Neiman, who played really good, tied for fifth. Dustin Johnson, Colin Morikawa, and Gary Woodland finished tied for seventh. John Ram finished tenth. But back to JT, he now has 12 PGA Tour victories, and he's closing in on John Ram on the third spot on the official World Golf Ranking. Uh, he's now almost a full point clear of number five, who is DJ, too. Thomas won the Tournament of Champions back in 2017, and then he went on to win the Sony Open the following week after shooting a 59 in the opening round. I bet you that 2017 was the best year of his career with five victories, including his maiden major. He'll be hoping to emulate or get even better this year. Fred, there were a lot of high wins on, on that last day that made it difficult for the players with the winning score coming at 14 under, but it was the second highest winning score since Kapalua began hosting in 1999. Yeah, they did a lot of work to the golf course, uh, changed a lot of stuff, renovated some stuff, put a lot of new grass down, and they had gotten three inches of rain. So the golf course was very soft, and you weren't seeing the ball roll out and run out like it normally does at Kapalua. I mean, uh, on that one hole, there's been, I forget how many, 300 and some four drives over 400 yards, and there was only two for the week because um, it, it just it was hard to catch the hit the slope and get it to roll down the hill because it was so soft. The grass appeared to be pretty thick in the fairway, so it wasn't letting the ball roll either. So, uh, yeah, that was a little different. And then the wind. The wind was up, especially on Sunday. It was pretty breezy on Saturday, but the wind on Sunday, man, it was it was howling. Uh, it would have been really tough to play. It was even affecting the putting, um, if you noticed. Uh, there was a couple putts that looked like they started out right on line, and either wind held it out to the side or, or made it break too much. So, uh, it, it was a tough day to play, and uh, kudos to the guys that did well. Um, as you mentioned, Justin Thomas starts out with the win and the playoff. Um, he bogeyed 16-18 coming in. That's unusual for him. Uh, but he takes over the lead in the FedEx Cup uh, with the 2020 schedule. Already 25% complete, Carlos. Here we are, first tournament of the year. The season's already 25% over. Um, 
Reed, yeah, he shoots a 66. Uh, and he had 45 one putts, but that's because he didn't hit a greens. Uh, he had to be like last in the field in, in uh, GIR. Um, so he was constantly chipping, and I got it, but he was chipping like a maniac. The reason he had one putts because he was chipping it so close. His chipping was unbelievable. He put on a clinic in chipping. If you can get over the fact that, you know, everybody does not like Patrick Reed right now, uh, his chipping was phenomenal. Uh, if you want to learn how to chip, go back and look at the tape for Sunday on his shots, and he was hitting every chip. He hit high shots. He hit low runners. Uh, he, he was doing everything um, and knocking the ball close to the hole. Um, Canley looked really good all week. Um, just couldn't quite get it done. Uh, missed some putts on Sunday there, uh, solo fourth. Uh, Ricky Fowler had a pretty good week, just couldn't quite get over the hump. He was near the lead, lead but couldn't get there. Walking Neiman, that's the guy. I mean, he led after Thursday. He was still in good shape after Friday. Uh, 74 on Saturday kind of knocked him down the leaderboard a little bit, but then he played pretty decent again on uh, on Sunday. guy has no fear. For a young guy, man, he just uh, – and he, and he plays all the shots. He, he really he, – he's got some he's got some game. On a place like there, where you can just kind of let it rip, uh, he's good there. I, I, you know, I was impressed. Not sure. I, I'm curious to see how he does this week at uh, Wildlife. A little different deal there. Um, even though Dustin Johnson hit like six balls in a deep native grass, he still managed a T7 with Morikawa and Woodland. Um, as I mentioned, it was really soft there. The winds made a big deal. Uh, ought to mention too, Carlos, that uh, Century signed up for another 10 years. Uh, they fully embraced the role as a title sponsor. Uh, they're good now till 2000 and, uh, 2030. So a uh, 10-year deal replaces the original five-year agreement. Um, so this tournament looks solid for, uh, for Kapalua for 10 more years. Uh, like I say, uh, Corn Crenshaw, and then also with the help of Mark Rolfing, uh, they just did a bunch of work at Kapalua. So it's in uh, pristine, top shape, ready to go, ready for the – for the new decade, Carlos. And so are we. And with that, we will wrap up our weekend backspin. It was the only tournament, but it was a very wild and crazy finish there that JT definitely showed his medal and won it there at the end on the playoff. Now let's talk about what's going to happen this weekend, and we have a few tournaments that are going on. The first one is on the PGA Tour. So the PGA Tour will remain there in the state of Hawaii, but they're moving from Maui to Hawaii, to the island of Hawaii in Honolulu, for to be more exact. And it's going to be the second tournament of this year. It will take place at the YLI Country Club. The purse will be $6.6 million. The winner will take $1.188 million. And this commemorates the 20-year anniversary of Paul Azinger winning the Sony Open for his final PGA Tour victory. Oh, it was 20 years ago. Azinger wow. says that that victory kept him from an offer to join CBS as an analyst. So it was like, oh, I won. I still can win. No more. <laughs> no worry. I'm not going to be an analyst. I can still play. But anyway, all but 11 players from the winner's only field at Kapalua are playing the Sony Open. Among those keeping our five players from the top 20 in the world, including Sander Shoffley, Patrick Cantley, Dustin Johnson, and Gary Woodland, 
Justin Thomas will be looking to sweep the Hawaii swing after his win at the Century Tournament of Champions. Only him and Ernie Els are the players that have been able to sweep the Hawaii swing at Kapalua and YLA. Thomas set the PGA Tour scoring record in 2017 at the Sony Open at 253. He opened with a 59. Jordan Spieth was entered and withdrew with a minor illness. Now he's expected to return at Torrey Pines. Fred, the field headliners, also include Hideki Matsuyama, Kevin Kisner, and somebody's going to hear it from the crowd, and that's going to be Patrick Reed. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, this a lot of times this field struggles a little bit, but, uh, you know, you got Justin Thomas coming over, coming off of Hawaiian at uh, uh, Kapalua. You got Webb Simpson, who's always, uh, you know, up around the lead. As you mentioned, Patrick Reed. You got Chucky Howell, who always starts off hot at the beginning of the year. Mark Leishman's in the field. Um, Kucher, Sanjay M., who had a great performance at the Presidents Cup. Colin Morikawa, who had a good week last week. You got Snedeker, Joaquin's playing again. Joaquin Neiman, as you mentioned, Matsuyama. So really quality names there. Uh, the uh, Interesting to see if they can make it through the Friday cut and make it to the weekend. You know, this course is always good for Kuchar. Um, you know, this is a whole different deal than what we saw at, uh, at Kapalua where they just, you know, bomb it away. A uh, lot of dog legs here, a lot of tight holes with palm trees lining uh, both sides of fairways. Uh, we've got to play more for position, maybe some irons off the tees. Um, but we saw, I remember a couple years ago when uh, Thomas won here, Justin Thomas, he was just bombing it over the corners of the uh, of the dog legs right up in front of the greens. Remember that? So, And he was really driving the ball pretty well. So if he's got that going again and he's just got little flip wedges into the green, he could be very difficult to beat here. But I really like Kuchar this week. I really like Sanjay M. But I'm telling you what, Colin, I'm going to go on the limb. I never do this. Um, but I'm going to – I like Colin Morikawa this week. He played really well last week. Uh, nothing – you know, he's not flashy. He's just very steady. And this, is, this would be a very good course for him. I'll bet if he doesn't win, I'll bet he finishes in the top five. So I'm going on a little limb there and, uh, and make a little prediction for you, Carlos. Okay, let's make it a one-on-one. I'll take my guy Joaquin Neiman on this one. Let's see. Yeah, next week, see how it goes. But, yeah, the okay. two youngsters. We'll see next week. Remember, it's on record. Call me Morikawa, Joaquin Neiman. We'll see next week. Anyway, now let's move on. Uh, if you want to watch it, you have to go Thursday through Saturday. It's going to be from 7 to 10.30 p.m. on Golf Channel. Then on Sunday, it's going to be from 6 to 10 p.m. also on Golf Channel. The next tournament will be the American Express on the PGA Tour. Let's move on to the European Tour, where the South African Open, presented by the city of Johannesburg, will be the first event of 2020 for the European Tour. They will play it at the Rand Park Golf Course in Johannesburg in South Africa. Let me tell you, the purse is 17.5 million rand, and the winner will take home 2.9 million rand. Now, I mention it in the local currency because it sounds impressive. Uh, It's much better (laughs) than if I tell you it's just $1.22 million purse and the winner's share is just $202,765. See the difference? It's really, really impressive when I think 17.5 million rand. Wow, that's an amazing purse. This event has been part of the It's like like pesos or something. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, wow, 17.0 million. I'm a millionaire there in South Africa. But anyway, mm-hmm. this event has been part of the European tour schedule since 1997. That was when PJ Singh won it. The South African Open was first place in 1903, making it the third, old, the third oldest national open behind the British Open and the U.S. Open. Gary Player has won it a record 13 times. The Hong Kong Open was moved to this week, but it's not part of the European tour schedule because the tour pledged a full field to the South African Open. The field will include major champs Louis Heisen and Charles Schwartz, along with former President's Cup player Brendan Grace. And Fred, incredible, but Ernie Els is not going to be playing. Yeah, that is a little surprising. But, you know, Ernie's been playing quite a bit for him, and then he spent that uh, – you know, he spent all that time at the President's Cup, and he played the week before down there and that thing. So, uh, um, you know, he's been playing a little bit. Um, and, you know, he's not a young guy anymore. He's a he's a senior tour guy, right? So uh, he, he uh, he's due a little time off. He's put his time in in South Africa. Um, you, yeah, you talked about some names. A lot of the South African guys are there. Louis Hustenheisen is a defending champ. Of course, Brandon Grace, Charles Schwartzel. Uh, you know, Charles probably, you know, a guy not to bet against this week, I would say, uh He's probably got to be the favorite in the field right now, maybe. Uh, he played well the last time they played down in South Africa. Uh, one of the main attractions, too, in the afternoon group, uh, you got the Schwartzel playing along with Eddie Pepperell uh, and then a guy named uh, Thomas uh, Dietrich. But, uh, um, yeah, it should be, uh, should be fun. Um, you know, it's always fun to watch uh, golf down there in South Africa, see a little bit different part of the world. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it, Carmen. All right, if you want to watch it on TV, Thursday through Sunday, 2 to 4 a.m. Eastern Time on Golf Channel, so you've got to be up and not sleeping. Next tournament will be next week, the Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship, presented by EGA. That's the first of the Rolex Series tournament you know who, uh, on the European you Tour. Know who just co- you just know who committed to that? Did you see that? Who? No. Who's going to start their season? Number one. They're going to start their season oh. next. No. Really? Number one, Brooks. Brooks, Brooks is starting in Abu Dhabi next wow. week. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, that's a that, well. We'll talk about it next week. But that's a tournament that always attracts some big time uh, players, and it's great to see that at least Brooks is getting back on track. I don't know if he'll be able to win, but it's good to see him at least coming back. There's another tournament that was canceled last year, and it was moved to this weekend. It was supposed to be in the Arabian Tour, but and. Uh, Asian Tour, but like I mentioned before, the European Tour committed a full field to the South to the South African Open. So the Hong Kong Open will be played also right now this weekend. And British Open champs Shane Lowry, American Tony Finau, and the recently minted Asian Tour 2019 Order of Merit winner Jasjin Watananon had a 120-player field in the 61st Hong Kong Open which gets underway at the Hong Kong Golf Club this Thursday. The trio will be joined by three former champions who really know what it takes to win there at Fangling. Wade Ornsby, who won in 2017, Sam Brazel in 2016, and Scott Hand in 2014, will return to that scene of former glories and will be looking to reassert what has been Australia's impressive showing in Hong Kong in recent years, while Angelo K of the Philippines, who lost out to hand on a playoff, will consider the open unfinished business for him. Five other players who between them boast some 20 Asian Tour wins 
will also be one to watch. John Catling with four wins, Shiv Kapoor with four, Pumsa Scani with three, Prom Miswat with three, and SSP Charazia with six will all be looking to get their name on the prestigious trophy. Some other players noteworthy are the Italian Andrea Pavan, who enjoyed a strong year on the European Tour last year. He claimed five top ten finishes. He's on his way up. American-born Brandon Wu, who moved his family with his family to Beijing at the age of eight, where he continued to hone his skills and playing in the WGC HSBC Champions Pro-Am as a 12-year-old before returning to the U.S. at age 13. He will be playing there. And, of course, for fans with an interest in less orthodox talent, they, like Fred, will be pleased to see Korea's Ho Song Choi join the lineup there. <laughs> Too bad, Fred, that there's not going to be any TV coverage for that tournament. <laughs> That's just a waste of TV time. I can't look. I have to turn away. <laughs> <laughs> can't watch. Okay. The, the last tournament is going to be on the Corn Ferry Tour, but that one starts on Sundays, the Bahamas Great Exuma Classic, the first tournament of the year for them. They played at the Sandals Emerald Bay Golf Course in Great Exuma in the Bahamas, playing for a purse of $600,000. The winner's share is 108, and if you want to watch it from the from Sunday to Tuesday, there will be at 2 to 5 p.m. on Golf Channel, and then Wednesday from 1.30 to 4.30 p.m. on Golf Channel. That's the first tournament of the week. Any final things you want to say before you talk to us about Boeing? No, uh, just uh, the golf season starting to get going. Uh, you know, we got some European tournaments going, and, and – uh, full field event in Hawaii this week. Next week, the LPGA and the Corn Ferry gets going, and the Champions Tour will come in here uh, after the uh, after the Sony is open. So uh, golf is going to get rolling right away here, Carlos. We're going to have uh, lots and lots of stuff to talk about over the next few weeks. Can't wait to get to it. Hey, uh, we're happy to announce that Boyne Resort will be one of our sponsors again in 2020. With 10 golf courses by top-name designers, Boyne has a golf course to suit every player. They have fabulous dining, three spas, plus a multitude of outdoor activities that make Boyne one of the premier vacation resorts in the country. If you're starting to make your summer vacation plans, check out Boyne Resort in northern Michigan. It has something for every member of your family. It's perfect for buddies or girls' golf getaways. You know, check them out at boyne.com. That's B-O-Y-N-E dot com forward slash golf. Tell them back nine reports sent you. Back to you, Carlos. All right. With that, we close the four call with a preview of what's going to happen this weekend. Now let's talk the par five games, where we pick five pieces of news worthy of talking about them. Of course, we've been out for two weeks, so a lot of things happen. So we pick five of those worthy pieces worthy pieces of news from those two weeks and the first one that we're going to talk about is about Fred the biggest name in golf and one of the most iconic venues of the sport of golf are partnering up Pebble Beach has long defined Tiger Woods legend it is the site of his most dominant victory the 2000 US Open and the wildest Sunday comeback that he had that was also in 2000 with the Crosby Clambake. 
Now, Tiger is coming home again with his TGR design firm, having signed a deal last month with Pebble Beach Company to redesign the Par 3 Peter Hay Golf Course, which is just up the hill from the first tee of the big course adjacent to Pebble's practices uh, uh, facility. This is a richly symbolic partnership. The last architect to perform significant work at Pebble Beach is the man Woods has always measured himself against, that's Jack Nicholas, who in 1999 added the new fifth hole on the cliffs above Stillwater Cove. More recently, in house tweaks, like the restoration and expansion of the 13th, 14th, and 17th greens, they had to be approved by the king himself, the late Arnold Palmer, one of the Pebble Beach's company's managing partners. Now, Tiger is the heir apparent to watch over one of the crown jewels of American golf, beginning with a petite but high-profile commission for his burgeoning design business. The course, which is named after the former longtime head professional at Pebble Beach, has been a mainstay on the property since it opened in 1957, but the reimagined Peter Hay is also an important evolution for Pebble Beach as a golf destination, and I'm going to tell you the key to why. Competitors like Bandon Dunes and Pinehurst have continuously reinvented themselves with new offerings that include thrilling par-3 courses designed by brand-name architects. Pebble Beach had really fallen behind, and the Peter Hay course was symbolic of that neglect. This graphic collection of rather boring holes, most of them with round pop-up greens, lacking in distinction. Among the wrinkles that Tiger hopes to add is a replica hole of number seven at the real Pebble Beach, the famous downhill par three alongside the water. Fred, the renovated par three course is expected to reopen in October, but so far we can say that Tiger's vision for the course, while it's still evolving, will inject fun and variety into the layout and take much better advantage of its sweeping vistas and very importantly is expected to remain free for kids 12 years and younger. Yeah, uh as you say it's supposed to take less than a year to uh to do to complete. Uh it's targeted for the fall of of this year. Um you know, this is, you know, motivated by all the other Great resorts, uh, Bandon Dunes, uh, Sand Valley, uh, Treetops up in Michigan. Uh, all these other golf courses putting in these great par threes uh, to go along to make the golf experience just a little bit better at, the res- at these resorts. If you're going to pay, if you're going to go to a place and play, uh, pay uh, 150 bucks a night, you're going to play, pay 150 to 300 dollars a round of golf. You're gonna, you know, eat at their restaurant and spend 40, 50 bucks for a meal. Um, you know, you want something a little bit more, and these par threes really add to the experience. I, you know, like the par three at Sand Valley, the par three at Bandon Dunes. I mean, I could just go and play those and be very happy. Um, at Treetops, when I go up there, a lot of times I just go and play the par three because I want to take guys there and show it to them, see how much fun it is. So if you do a good par three, it it's really adds a lot to a resort. Uh, and if you don't, uh, the, the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail has a couple of really cool par threes at, at some of their places as well in Alabama. Uh, there, there's a lot of great little par threes around. Uh, last last winter I played the uh, Palm Beach par three 
in Florida, oh my goodness, that was an absolute blast. We had one of the greatest days of golf ever, just nine holes on a little par three. It was fabulous. But, um, you know, this uh, short course has uh, really been important for junior golf over the years, and that tradition is going to continue uh, with uh, several events for junior golfers all throughout the year. So uh, Tiger's going to give it a facelift, modernize it, um, offered, you know, uh, so it's going to be able to there. If you if you if you go to Pebble, maybe you don't play the big course. Maybe you go play the par three and say, well, I played the par three. I played the Peter par, Peter Hay par three at uh, at Pebble Beach. I didn't get on the big course, but uh, you know, it's just something else to do. It's 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 really good stuff. Love the par threes, Carlos. Yeah, I, I think we agree that the, the its competitors are bringing that up to Pebble Beach, they really had been behind uh, what it seems to be a trend. And my question to you, since you go to the, this um, so many golf courses, uh, do you see this as something that it's a must for all these big, uh, big golf courses, the legendary courses that have resorts? Like, I need to start thinking about having that par three and that flexibility of not only being okay i'm the big pebble beach and i you're going to come here and play but they are really realizing that those par threes like in Bandon dunes pinehurst you know they they have really started to gain some momentum and like you mentioned for the youngsters it's a better course for them to be going there and play uh so what do you think that's a trend coming now Oh, it's 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 been going on. Uh, yeah, we we they just uh, they're finishing putting the finishing touches on. The par three will open at Forest Dunes this year. Um, I think uh, Arcadia Bluffs up in Michigan they have two courses now, so I really think their next thing is to put in a par three, uh, maybe a real nice uh, putting course as well. well uh, you know, it, it, that's all this stuff: putting courses and par threes. Um, uh, Carlos, uh, it's it's just you got to do it. I just had a conversation actually about two weeks ago uh, with, uh, with French Lick. And they have two great golf courses there. The, the Ross course, you know, great historical golf course, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful old golf course. And then, of course, the, uh, the Pete Dye course up on the hill, uh, which, which has hosted numerous tournaments up there. And, uh, you know, they're thinking about maybe building. They, they have another little golf course in the valley behind the hotel, uh, that's, it's not really a short course. It's, it, it's, a, it's old, old, old. It's, and, uh, they've never done much with it. Um, but, uh, I think Bidwell designed it actually a uh, long, long, long time ago. And, uh, it actually, when it began, it was like part of the polo field or something out there. Um, but, um, uh, they're thinking about redoing that golf course and then adding another nine holes up the big hill behind the hotel. And so I was talking to him the other day. I said, you know, you really don't need another 18-hole golf course. You've got two of the best golf courses you can have. You've got the old traditional golf course with the Ross. You've got the great uh, Pete Dye golf course up on the mountain. You you know, you're not going to top those. Um, Why don't you put in a great par three? And they started scratching their head. You know, you've got, you use less land. It's cheaper to build. It's cheaper to maintain. You can still get a good fee for it. You can get more rounds on it because people play it quicker. Like when I was at Sand Valley, uh, when they opened the Sandbox up there, and they have two fantastic 18-hole golf courses there. They're going to build some more. Uh, you know, they got the David McGuire Kid. They got the Core Crenshaw. 
Um, and, uh, but guys were playing the par three, and they were jumping right back on and playing it again because it was so much fun to play. A couple of people actually canceled their times, tee times on the one big course to, to keep playing the par three because you can play it like an hour, hour and 15 minutes or something. And, and they're just so much fun. Uh, you can, the kids can play them. Uh, you know, women, they're great for women to play. It, it's just uh, they're a blast, and, and uh, it's really an inexpensive way to add another golfing opportunity at your facility, Carlos. Definitely. I mean, the, the cradle at Painhurst, the roundabout at Stream Song. Oh, cradle. The one you mentioned, yeah. the, the, the sandbox at Sand Valley. Yeah. I mean, those are, right now, we can say that those short courses and nine-hole courses, they have long served before as the sandlots of golf, uh, but now suddenly they seem to be getting some momentum. I, not suddenly, but lately, the past few years, they have been like all the rage. And I remember a story about uh, Jeff Ogilvie, who missed a cut at the 20, 2009 British Open, but that didn't prevent him from making lasting memories that week because each day after practice and following his first two rounds at the Ilsa course at Turnberry Resort, he then grabbed a putter and a sandwich and, of course, a pint of beer and did several laps around the Wheelings, which was an 18-hole pitch and putt course set along the glorious Ayrshire coastline that is designed to play like a mini Ilsa. So even those big guys like Tiger Woods and Jordan Speed have gotten into the act helping to elevate the status of short courses. And now we see Tiger Woods not only uh, playing them, but also designing them. So with that, we wrap up that piece of news. And let's move on now to the PGA Tour that is ready to ink new TV deals. We remember last that last month, uh, every media outlet was reporting it's about to be signed. Uh, NBC, Golf Channel, CBS, that 10-year deal. Well, it hasn't been signed, but Jane Monaghan goes like, yeah, yeah, it's very, very close, very close. So, Fred, what is the latest on those deals and any other TV ramblings that you have heard about? Yeah, Jay Monahan is very bullish still. Um, you know, I think the big, the broad strokes are decided on. Um, and I'm telling you what, they did a masterful job with this, Carl. You talk about negotiating. Donald Trump could take some lessons from the PGA Tour on this deal. You know, we've been talking about leading up to this renegotiation. We've been talking, doing all this talking about, well, the PGA Tour is geared up. They're ready to produce their own content. Um, they can compete with Golf Channel. Uh, they're ready to go. They've got all this stuff. They don't need the networks anymore. Uh, they'll make more money doing it themselves. Well, they got the networks to pony up $700 million for the TV rights. Their current contract that ends in 2021, they were getting $400 million. So 60% increase. Uh, that's some serious money. They, they did a great job building up this whole negotiation thing over the last two, three years. I mean, we talked about it how many times last year? Uh, well, over the last two years, actually, we started talking about it in 2018 that these contracts were coming up. So evidently all the posturing that the PGA Tour has been doing about uh, it, it starting to produce their own worked. It, it really helped seriously sweeten the pot to keep the golf on network television. NBC keeps the players, but – the FedEx Cup playoffs will alternate years between CBS and NBC. If you remember, 
CBS always did the first playoff event, and then NBC would do the last two. But now they're going to alternate years. So NBC will do one year, and then CBS will do the next year, which is a little bit of a change. Um, also, as we know, Carlos, CBS has uh, made a lot of personnel changes. I think they felt they needed to, uh, to update and get more current. Uh, they were getting a little bit stale with, with uh, Costas and McCord, especially. Of course, Faraday has been long gone over to NBC. But uh, some of the networks, uh, you know, NBC has been doing a really good job uh, with what they're doing. And um, so, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing that they were able to keep those networks. I, I thought, sure, that they would start producing some of their own content, uh, Carlos, but it looks like it's going to stay with CBS, NBC, Golf Channel. Uh, ESPN, of course, is going to do some stuff as well. The only thing I don't know about that's been rumored a little bit, um, and I don't have any details on it as of yet, but it looks like um, the tour may be getting an ownership position in the Golf Channel. Hmm. Hmm. How would that impact yeah. our TV, our TV well, I mean, aspirations? Yeah, I, I mean, if you got the golf channel, you don't need to produce your own stuff, right? Um, so I, I'm, maybe they will produce content for the golf channel. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I like I say, it's just rumored, uh, and maybe they're just going to be, a, you know, a stockholder in the company and have a seat on the board and not do anything with with content. That would surprise me. It, it, it would probably keep them from going out and doing their own thing and become a competitor. And if this is the case, that is a stroke of genius for NBC, Comcast, and the Golf Channel. Because uh, PJ Tour was set ready to go with their own programming. Um, and if they can keep them from doing that and competing for the same advertising dollars that Golf Channel is getting, um, that's worth a lot of money, Carlos. You know, it all makes sense because also it tells you how difficult – it would be it is for anyone to try to do their own content and uh rather than trying to go against this already established uh powerhouses nbc golf channel cbs they already have everything that you need so if you partner with them uh definitely you just get a uh, a piece of the pie so they're not only already paying you you're getting some of their earnings as well so it, like you said, it would be a stroke of genius if that happened. So we'll we'll keep an eye close on that one. Now let's move on to the second one. Rory McIlroy returned to his hometown in Hollywood, in Northern Ireland, to officially open a state-of-the-art golf academy at the Hollywood Golf Club. That the club announced last uh, last month with McIlroy's donation, which is reported to be 850,000 euros. Now, you know, I like to make the conversion. It's always now to the, to the dollars. It's 947370 I like to be specific. The academy <laughs> at McElroy's home club includes a new gym, five hitting bays, three track mints, and two HD golf simulators. Along with uh, the, that announcement that McElroy was going to help fund the new academy, he and coach Michael Bannon held a pop-up golf clinic with three young golfers. The clinic, supported by Golf Pass, in conjunction with NBC Sports and Golf Channel, featured 13-year-old Kate Fleming, 15-year-old Ed Tomset, 
and 17-year-old Enya McKenzie. The three were chosen from more than 2,000 young golfers across the UK and Ireland to meet with McElroy at his, at his home club. McElroy is the founder of Golf Pass, which launched in the UK and Ireland in June. And in case you don't know what Golf Pass, Golf Pass is, Golf Pass is NBC Sports Group and Rory McElroy teaming up to bring golf fans a one-of-a-kind subscription program. Okay, it delivers to consumers inside access to Rory's life on and off the course, as well as access to instructional tools, travel and shopping perks, and exclusive access to Prime Golf Channel videos. So there you see Rory, the entrepreneur, doing some of those things. And Fred, one of the things that Rory is sometimes wrongly accused is of not helping grow the game. This right here is just one of the many perfect examples on which he's investing in golf's future. And definitely it's great to see that he went back home and he's paying it forward. Well, I think we both agree. Roy McIlroy is a pretty class guy. Um, he's always very honest with the press, very outgoing. Uh, he seems very sincere. Uh, seems like a pretty good kid. Um, and this academy at his old home club he feels such a connection to, to Hollywood there in, in Ireland. And uh, for him to be able to come back and do this for his old club, I, I know that has to be a great feeling for him to be able to do that. And then how cool is it, Carlos, that three kids get to have a training session with Bannon and with Rory, uh, like a one-on-one -on -one deal. How cool is that? Uh, they want over 2000 kids. So, um, eight, uh, you know, $950,000 U.S. into a training facility, that's, that's a bunch of money. And for a place like, uh, like Hollywood, that, that's got to be a big deal. So, um, you know, good for, good for Rory. I think this is really cool. I really like this story. We like junior golf anyhow. And anytime anybody's doing something uh, really good for junior golfers, uh, it's, it's, it's a great deal. So um, way to go, Rory. boy. Yeah, our, our hat's tip to him. Great, great way to go. Now let's talk about the legendary coach, swing coach, Hank Haney. I mean, he says that a past beef with Tiger Woods is why he was fired from his popular radio show. He claims the PGA Tour got him canned to settle the score, and now he's suing them. You might remember uh, Haney got axed as the host of Haney, Hank Haney Golf Radio on Sirius XM just a few months ago. And the reason appeared to be for comments he made about the LPGA. You might remember that Haney made those flippant remarks. I'm not going to re re recreate them about female Korean golfers on air. And he was ripped for them with Michelle Wee calling them racist and sexist. Uh, but in a new lawsuit, is claiming his firing had nothing to do with his comments, saying the PGA Tour used the backlash over them as an opportunity to get back at him for his past criticism of Tiger. Haney, you might remember, famously coached Tiger from 2004 to 2010, has blasted the Tiger over the years. And he says the PGA Tour has harbored a vendetta against him because of it. Haney says serious XM officials did not levy punishment for his comments until the PGA Tour got involved. 
saying the organization instructed and pressured Sirius XM officials to can him. Haney adds the firing caused him to lose important business with Callaway, saying if he had been able to keep his radio gig, the famous golf company would have continued working with him. As a result, Haney says the PGA Tour cost him millions. Haney says this isn't the first time the league has tried to disrupt and interfere with his business, claiming it tried to block his the big miss book sales back in 2012. He also accuses the PGA Tour of playing a huge role in the cancellation of his popular Haney Project show on the Golf Channel. Fred, he's now suing the PGA Tour for an, for an unidentified amount, seeking compensatory and punitive damages. Uh, wow, I, I don't know. At least with this suit, I, he's getting some good publicity, so some money is going to come his way. You know, I I was a Hank Haney fan. I, I was. Uh, you know, when he was working you were? with Mira, I was. I, you were? I absolutely was. Okay. I, and and the, the the initial changes that he made with Tiger, I thought were spot on. Um, but I think he's just become a total egomaniac. Um, this is not a good look for him. Uh, do you think? I mean... And, and the book, I thought, was absolutely uh, ludicrous. Um, I have not read it. Uh, I did not get it. Um, and it's, you know, I probably should just to know what I'm talking about. But uh, I, just, I just didn't feel like um, – I really felt it was out of bounds for him to write about stuff he did with Tiger. Uh, it was like piling on at that point in time. And he was in a position of trust with Tiger for all those years. Tiger paid him a lot of money. Uh, for him to do that, it just didn't seem right. And so, I, I, you know, I've had a bad taste in my mouth for Hank Haney since then. And, you know, he tried to do the thing on Golf Channel with the, you know, with the shows he had. And I thought those were pretty hokey. Um, you know, he, he has his training centers all over the country and flies all over and does this stuff. But uh, I, I would <laughs> – I'd be very surprised if if it ever goes to court. Uh, I'd be very surprised if the PGA Tour really had any hand in any of this stuff. I mean, possibly they did, but I, I can't imagine they would hold a vendetta over him writing a book. I mean, he's not the only guy in the world that has written bad stuff about Tiger Woods or about the PGA Tour or, or something like that. So um, maybe there's something behind it, but... Uh, I just feel like Hank Haney has become a media um, glutton and seems like he can't get enough. If his name isn't out there in bright light uh, on the TV screens and stuff all the time, uh, he's got to do something to make that happen. So uh, I um, I just can't get too excited about this, Carlos, and it just is kind of like one more uh, black mark against Hank Haney for me. Yeah, to me, he has to get some attention, something back, something to try to to get back in the game somehow. So I, I see this as his way of trying to get something back, even if he's not going to earn any money from it, because it's going to be very difficult to prove any intentions or anything that the PGA Tour really had anything to do with this. There may be something behind this, but one comment that I can make, I did read, I did read The Big Miss, and that book 
yeah, it says as much about Hank Haney as it does about Tiger Woods. So, yeah, I think after that, I I, I kind of changed my mind about him a little bit. Uh, it's a lot about him and him and him. So I I just think he was just uh, too. I don't know. I don't want to say a word and then you know hear about it. But you know when you are not happy with somebody breaking up with you, you try to do some things. And uh, I just still think he's just hurt about it and he's not letting it go yet. Uh, but yeah, truly, I I I don't have him as the, as high as I used to after that happens. And all that he keeps keeps doing is just reinforcing that. It's just like the Antonio Brown. He just cannot keep getting into more or <laughs> old. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody should take his phone and computer away from him. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Close all his account and let him talk. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. let's talk about uh, a, a good story. I think this one uh, is a very good story. And it's uh, when Fox Sports aired a 15 second U.S. Open promo fishing actor, featuring actor Don Cheeto on Sunday ahead of the NFL wildcard playoff game. It was intended as a teaser for this year's championship at Wingfoot in June. At the same time, it served as a first look at a larger campaign between the USGA and Cheadle, and that was announced on Monday. Cheadle is an avid golfer who has played a slow to a seven handicap and has been tapped to help the USGA promote its various missions. Specifically, the USGA intends to use Cheadle to help raise awareness about the value of public golf, showcasing him and his distinct voice in PSAs throughout the year. He will be helping highlight the USGA's research efforts and technology innovations to promoting golf's role in being good environmental stewards. He will also serve as a brand ambassador for the US Open as the USGA launches a new brand campaign around the national championship at the USGA annual meeting in February. Fred, I, I know, I know your fun thoughts about the USGA, but I have to applaud this for applaud them for this initiative of picking Cheadle, who is is also in sort some sort of giving back mode as well. He used to play public golf courses with his dad, and through this effort, his intentions are that others grow up, growing up, can have those same opportunities and benefit from them. So. Public golf courses are very important uh, to try to get those that are not as privileged to go to golf clubs and start playing. And uh, I think this is a good initiative, and uh, I really applaud them for it. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is along the the vein of, uh, you know, when Tiger Woods popped on the scene and became such a major factor in golf and the late 1990s and, and uh, early 2000s, we had all these young kids and all these diverse ethnicities starting to play golf, right? And we're seeing that today. Uh, you know, we're seeing these kids grow up, and we're seeing a diverse bunch of, uh, of players come onto the scene, not only men but also women. Um, you know, we're seeing African American. We're seeing Asian. We're seeing uh, European, you know, any kind of – ethnicity uh, that's out there, we're seeing playing golf. And so Don Cheadle, you know, famous actor, 
Uh, he's a golf nut. He grew up playing on public golf courses. He understands the value of, of, of golf, especially for young minds and building the, um, you know, building the character like the first tee tries to do with their, their nine core values. But golf instills these kind of things in kids as they compete and play on the golf course with adults and, and in respect to the game and, and the people at the club or around you. So um, all of this is good stuff. And uh, Don Cheadle, you know, should be a good guy for this. I'm kind of surprised that, that they would pick him. But um, I hope it works well for him. And, and I like what they're trying to do. Um, the only comment negative I have about it is, I'm sure they're spending millions of dollars on this, and they have millions of dollars to spend, so they're not, they're not robbing something else. But um, it just seems like they're probably spending a lot of money on this when they, there might be some other things that they could be doing if they could take some of this money and, and build more um, junior-friendly, women-friendly golf courses or improve some of the old uni golf courses in urban areas around the country. Uh, the might, money might be better spent. But... Um, you know, I can't really talk bad about the effort, and uh, Don Cheeto should be a guy, good guy to do it, Carl. Most definitely. With that, we wrap up the Bar 5 News, and now we have a combo of a practice range and a PIG, because a practice range, you know, every week we pick a topic, and each of us, Fred and I, pay, uh, take our own shots at it. This week... We had said last year that we were going to start talking about something that is very important and is just recently minted and started at the beginning of the year. That's the World Handicap System. And we're going to have Dean Canoes, also the Pope of Slope, uh, join us to talk about a flaw that he sees on the World Handicap System. But let's start talking about it a little bit and we'll play him uh, alongside at some point during our, our talk because it'll it'll be right into what we want to talk about this uh, about the world handicap system I mean it's only a few months before it comes into play in Green Britain and Ireland but if the hype have passed you by here's what the world handicap system is all about because it already started here it could be putting in a score for your handicap at the old course or making that summer evening nine hole not count that the world handicap system is changing everything for club golfers when it comes into force towards the whole end of the year. But if you're worried about what it might mean or might or have been the ostrich with your head in the sand, here are the key things that I'm going to tell you what it's going to mean for you. Now, the first question that you might have is why are handicaps changing? Well, we play under one set of rules, but prior to this year, there were six different handicap systems operating around the world. So the world handicap system is unified, unifying those into one. If we have an international game, why not have a unified uh, international unified handicap system, handicapping system so it's already coming to effect in some parts of the globe. Uh, D-Day for England will be November 2, with other home nations moving between September and November. How is this going to work? Uh, our handicaps are, are currently using 
out an aggregate system, but that is going to change an average-based calculation, you know, taking the best eight out of the last 20 scores. Uh, key to the new regime is the course rating system. A course rating evaluates the difficulty of a playing course for scratch golfers under normal course and weather conditions, while a bogey rating does the same for bogey golfers, usually measured around the 20 handicap for men and 24 for women under the same conditions. <clears throat> the slope rating is a number that indicates the relative difficulty of a course for bogey golfers compared to scratch golfers. It's a little complicated, right? It's a combination of course rating and the bogey rating that allows the calculation of a slope rating for a set of tees. You can find much more, and you can Google about it. I'm not going to get into the details on it. But when we turn up the play, we will be measuring our handicap index against the slope of the course from the tees we're playing, and that will give us a course handicap. And that is what you're going to listen more about this is going to be the base of what Dean Canuth, uh, a flood he found. For equity to be achieved, two more, two or more players in the competition or match, for example, a course handicap is converted into what is going to be a playing handicap, which is determined by the format being played and the handicap allowance applicable to it. Now, how will you be getting your handicap index? If you're a member of a club, you probably got, already got one in the transition to WHS, which will take place later this year, will convert your existing handicap into its new handicap index. If you haven't got a handicap, you'll need to put in score for 54 holes from any combination of 18-hole and 9-hole rounds. Handicaps will be revised daily. So when you're sleeping, it will be already changing. It will be taking into account the playing conditions you face on the day, and the maximum limit will be 54. Now, there's a lot of other things that are going to be happening, like, happening like how you can put in your scores for handicap purposes, uh, any round that's an authorized format of play, over a minimum uh, number of holes that's playing on the rules of golf as a company. You can do that. Uh, you really... I have received a question of, will I have to record all my scores? Well, enter your competition scores as normal, and you'll also be able to pre-register and submit scores from social games under the rules of golf, which is the same as you do now with supplementary scores. But the big one that I that is asked is, will I still pick up a point one for a bad day? Well, no, there will be not point one increases under the new system. So you can relax when you're playing. Your score will only count towards your handicap index if it's one of the best eight of your most recent 20. Fred, I'm going to leave it there. I know there's so much more that, that we have to talk about, but I want to get your first opinion. And then I would like to see if we go into uh, Dean's interview. And from there, we can start to wrap it up. But what, what is your initial take? On the world handicapping system. Well, the basis for this, as you mentioned, there were six different handicap uh, formulas around the world. So the whole reason for this was to consolidate it, and so that international play handicapping was relatively same around the world. So you, your handicap here in the United States, you could go play in Australia, or you could go and play uh, on continental Europe and your handicap would go right along, and you'd be able to play on an equitable basis 
with someone else from one of those areas, and your handicaps would have been calculated on the same basis. So I'm sure there was a lot of give and take, and as we see in the interview with, uh, with Dean, um, what we ended up with was way different than what we're used to here in the United States. Um, and so there had to be some, some give and take in the thing, and um, I don't know if it, if it all ended up just right and if it's going to really be great, but I think, Carlos, as we go along, it's going to be like the, the new golf rules of 2016, right? I, I think it's going to take a while to get used to them, but as we go along, everybody will understand, and we'll all get in routine. It'll be it'll be okay. Um, one of the things that um, the flexibility is, of course, probably the main issue that you can go from country to country around the world and, and carry your same handicap. Um, you can get a handicap now with just three rounds in three eighteen hole rounds. You can play uh, uh, six nine hole rounds, and they'll put them together for you. Your comment about do I have to put every score in? If you're a member at a club and you're playing in an event and you don't put that score down, somebody at your club's going to put it down for you. There's going to be someone in charge of that, and they're going to put that score in. You can't just say, well, I didn't feel well that day, and so I didn't put that score in, or, you know, oh, that was an unusual low score for me. I, I shouldn't put – no. Somebody's going to put that score in for you. And so um, – the way that the handicap is being calculated is a little bit different than what we're used to. It's going to be based off par for the golf course. So one of the things that's really going to make a difference, if your golf course uh, has an index, let's say it's par 72, but it has an index of only 69.8, you're going to lose uh, at least two shots off your handicap. Now, if you have a par 72 golf course, but it's rated at, say, 73, you're going to pick up a stroke on your – instead of being a 10, you might be an 11 now. Um, so relative to par is going to become a big factor in determining your handicap going forward, and this is going to throw a lot of people for a loop, Carlos, especially at the beginning, uh, and you're going to see a little bit more why this is what uh, Dean has a problem with uh, that he's going to talk about in the interview. So. That's about all I have to comment at this point, Carlos. If you want to play that, yeah, I'm gonna play it. I'm gonna play it, but I just I received a text and I forgot to mention on the things that I had to, before starting that a very important thing uh, because you mentioned about that you somebody's gonna enter the scores for you. So also to safeguard against <coughs> sandbagging. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, the USGA Get all choked up over employed, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, employed equitable stroke control to cap the maximum score or, or any hole, and it was calculated on a sliding scale depending on your scores. Handicap 10 to 19 could take no more than seven on any hole. 20 to 19 took a max of eight, etc. Now the World Handicap System also has a maximum, but it uses a net double bogey as the universal standard. So this provides consistency in its application. And it's a nod to handicap issue systems used in other parts of the world, particularly those that use table for scoring where net double bogey is the equivalent of zero points. So everybody welcome to the net double bogey world. Now, let's play the interview and from there we'll take it over again. 
Now it's our VIG very important guest of the week, and we have Dean Canuth, and we're gonna we're being discussing right now the new world handicapping system that went into effect at the start of the new year. As you know, many golfers around the country may have noticed a slight change or maybe more in their handicap. And we're bringing in Dean, who is a, US, a former U.S. Naval Academy grad who actively served in the Navy for 11 years, retired as a captain from the Naval Reserves. And then after another 16 years, he was awarded a classified medal for developing a method for tracking Soviet submarines. He received the Legion of Merit and other commendations for his service at the country. But as part of golf, he has raised the standards in two significant ways. One was the director of handicapping of the USGA from 1981 to 1997. He created the modern course rating and slope rating system that is used throughout the U.S. and in most foreign countries today, hence his nickname, the Pope of Slope. Second, with his five golf club patents, he has crafted his high heat line of drivers, fairways, fairway woods and hybrids that are designed specifically for helping amateurs play better golf. So who better to talk about the world handicap system than him? And Fred, this is because of an article that is on Golf Digest and uh, introduced us about it. Yeah, Carlos, uh, we uh, we want to talk about the World Handicap System a little bit tonight. As you know, it went into effect January 1, and who better can we get to come in and talk about this than Dean, who has been working with handicaps and slopes uh, since uh, 1976. So, Dean, welcome to Backman Report. Thanks, Fred. Great to be there. The USGA and RNA rolled this new handicap World Handicap System out effective January 1, and so the idea is to even the playing field for handicapping on an international basis, but in an article that you recently had posted to Golf Digest, you found maybe a few problems with this new system. So to quote the article, in an effort to create a one-size-fits-all process that every golf association can accept, I believe the world handicap system is a downgrade from the old USDA system. What do you mean by downgrade? Well, uh, Fred, the, the, big, the big problem is that in the previous USG handicap system, we used only course ratings and slope ratings to uh, determine what somebody's need was for strokes in their handicap. And now the system is based on PAR. And PAR is a very inaccurate measure. I mean, there are golf courses that are 4,000 yards long that are PAR 72, and there's some others that are 8,000 yards long and they're PAR 72. So there's a huge range in difficulty, you know, based on the wide uh, range of what is a par 4 and what's a, a par 5 and so on. And and really the, the measure of par is, is inaccurate, and by using it, it makes the system less accurate than what we had. Can you explain par handicap more in detail? Par handicaps is a word that I coined. Um, it's, it's not in the handicap manual, but it, it helps you understand what, what's happening. Previously, you developed what was called a handicap index, and then you received more strokes in a higher slope-rated course and less strokes on a lower uh, slope-rated course. And that was determined simply by uh, multiplying your handicap index, you know, usually in a table or on a computer, times the slope rating of the tees you're playing, divided by 113, which is the standard slope, and then rounded off, and that's the number you played with. 
that's not true anymore. Now there's an additional correction where addition to that number is added course rating minus par. So if the course rating is 69 and the par is 72, then your handicap goes down three more. If the course rating is 77, as the case of some women golfers at a club near me, the tees that they play, uh, women's course rating, 77 minus 72, they all gain five shots from what they had December 31st. You just mentioned a couple ideas there. I think you mentioned to me that you had, uh, you know, someone who uh, has had a 10 handicap for some time, and with the new system, they maybe dropped four shots. It's actually worse than that. Uh, he dropped five shots. So Mike, Mike Jamison is a well-known uh, uh, golf writer, and he runs the International Network of Golf, and he lives in Florida in the Orlando area. Until December 31st, he was an 11 handicap, and he had been for the last few years and hadn't changed very much. Suddenly now, under the new procedure, his new handicap index has gone down to 8.9 because it's based on the best 8 of 20. And because his course rating is about 69 and the, and the par is 72, he's now going to be a 6 as of today. And yeah. he said he, he hasn't played to a 6 for many years and, you know, long before he ever had hip surgery and other kinds of surgeries. And so he said there's no way that he's a 6. Do you expect this to really encourage more golfers to get a handicap because it surely was billed as welcoming everyone to compete or play socially with anyone on a fair and equal basis, helping to supposedly make golf a more enjoyable game. But if this is the case, it's really telling me as, as people are going to start learning about this, oh, my my handicap is going to be lower, and I'm going to take it to, uh, to the tennis when your NTRP let's say it's 3.0, 3.5, it has discouraged some players to getting an NTRP rating because, hey, I'm not that rating. In this case, a golfer could be discouraged from trying to get a handicap. Do you think that would yeah. be the case? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, handicaps are going to increase. Uh, it used to be the maximum was 40.4, and now it's 54. And uh, so there's a higher range, and I guess that could be encouraging, but... I'll tell you that I'm in the age group where I'm now starting to play shorter tees. And the USGA had a program that they promoted for years uh, called Play It Forward. And they were encouraging people to play shorter tees so you enjoy the game more. Well, this new procedure does what I call the par handicap, does overstretching and understretching is just my term, and that it if you play shorter tees, your handicap goes far lower than it was before the old system. And so now you really are going to have a tough time competing from forward tees, and I think it discourages you from playing the tees that you most enjoy playing. So I'm concerned with that. And then the, the other big thing I'm concerned with is men against women. Women have always been based on women's course ratings, the scratch woman golfer, and men's course ratings are based on the the men's scratch golfer, but now when men and women compete against each other, the correction, this par handicap actually just is going to be discouraging and less accurate for men against women, and I, I'm very concerned with that. I, my wife and I play every Sunday afternoon after church, and 
you know, she's going to be not getting as many strokes from me, and I, we're going to have to work it out, you know, amongst ourselves because the handicap system isn't going to do it for us. Another question, do you think, are there any other changes that might be considered uh, but might not be taking maybe effect until a later date? Uh, with this yeah, actually I listed quite a few changes uh, that are of concern, and I wrote a long paper. Besides my GolfDigest.com uh, article that's out there right now, which, which is called The Flaw in the, in the World Handicap System, I, I wrote a, a long piece that gives all the flaws, and it's at popofslope.com at the top of my website, and you can see it. But there, just to list them quickly, there are issues such as now the, the equal stroke control is net double bogey. Now, people are going to have to, playing different tees or going to different golf courses, they're going to have to figure out what the stroke holes are everywhere they go and to figure out what their net double bogey score is, what their maximum score is in any hole. That's that's not an easy thing to do. Another thing is that there used to be a system if somebody played two or more times in the last 12 months exceptionally well in a tournament, that their handicaps would automatically go down. Well, that's gone now, and it's been replaced. No tournament scores whatsoever, and it's been replaced. But if anybody beats their handicap by seven shots, they, they go down one stroke. I don't know. It's hard for me to figure what, what's the logic in this. If you go down, if you beat it by six shots, something happens. If you beat it by seven, you go down one. I mean, going. So there's there's quite a number of other things that I listed on my my website that I think is unfortunate for American golfers. It's kind of like the dumbing down of the of the USGA handicap system. One of the things from this was to make golf more even for international play because there are some people now that travel internationally. Uh, and handicaps maybe don't travel from country to country. And do you see this as, as maybe a benefit then uh, internationally, but maybe yes. we're not seeing the benefit here in the United States? I, I do see that benefit. Um, I think that if there are golfers that are competing with golfers from other countries in, in handicap events, then there is a benefit because now there used to be six different handicap systems in the world, and now there's this one. But I think that this par handicap is – not a benefit. Just to elaborate a little bit, par handicap idea was invented in Sweden. It's been used in Sweden, and then they adopted it throughout continental Europe, not Great Britain and Ireland. They, they refused to adopt par handicap in, Brit in Great Britain and Ireland. Then Australia adopted it, and they became big spokespeople for for this par handicap concept. And they, they somehow, in this world handicap system, got USA to convert to it. It's not an improvement. And I really think about how many golfers do you compete against in handicaps that are for, from foreign countries? And I think the answer is not very many. Well, Dean, we thank you so much for taking a few minutes to come on and talk with us about the uh, new world handicap system. We will certainly be watching for it. Uh, everyone's going to be getting their new handicaps uh, in the mail here within the next couple of days, I'm sure, here at the beginning of the year. Any other final thoughts you have before we let you go, Dean? No, Happy New Year, I hope. Well, I am again, changing thank my address so I don't receive my... my, my address. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks a lot, Dean. You're welcome. Thank you, Dean. There you have it. That was Dean Canoose, the Pope of Slope. Fred, what you would like to... What's your takeaway from that that Dean was explaining? Well, uh, just more about what I was saying earlier. It really depends on the course that you play um, most. 
um, if you have a low uh, index, you're going to be hurt with this new uh, par handicap idea. Uh, if you have a high, if you play a difficult golf course it's, and the rating is above the par, then it's going to help you, especially when you go play other golf courses. So, um, there, and I really think it's going to be a time of adjustment, Carlos. It's just like when the new rules came out. Um, but I like the idea that it's, we're, we've got one handicap now across the world. Uh, I'm sure there will be some issues with it, uh, but I, I, I trust that the USGA and the RNA will get it figured out uh, over the next year or two. There may be, need to be some tweaks, uh, maybe a few minor changes here and there. But uh, let, let's give it some time. Let's go with it a little bit. Uh, you know, and another point I want to make, I, I play so few handicap events anymore that it, it really is almost a non-issue for me. Um, so how many true golfers, uh, I mean, pretty much everybody has a handicap that you play with. They, they know what their handicap is. Maybe they might not keep it, but they know what they shoot. They, they pretty much know what they're in. And most people are, are honest. Now, that being said, you will get in if you uh, somebody who plays in a lot of scrambles um, for money, then there's always that thing. You get some team that goes like 20 under or 22 under for 18 holes, and you're going, how did they, you know, how do they do that? Well, um, you know, maybe there's some fudging of handicaps on a deal like that. So maybe something like this will help alleviate that and make it more of an even playing field as we go forward. Um, I, I don't know. I still think there's going to be people trying to cheat the handicap system. There always is. I mean, I used to play with a guy. Uh, if he felt his handicap was getting too low, in, in every round he would play, on a nine-hole round, he would play six holes really well. But the other three, if he, if he, hit a couple, if he had a bad shot or if he was out of the hole, he was going to make a double or a triple. You could count on it. Um, he'd figure out a way to do it, and that would keep his handicap up. Um, and everybody knew it. And so when we played in a local event, they would knock him down two or three shots off. They would knock a couple shots off his handicap because everybody knew how he, how he played. Um, but, um, you know, there, there's some of that still going on, and some of that will still go on, I'm sure. But uh, I think people uh, with this system, I think people are going to watch it a little bit closer, and it's going to be more difficult for radical swings in handicap. Once you establish it and you post rounds going forward, it's going to be hard to move your handicap up and down. It's, it's not going to change a lot, Carlos. Definitely. So get ready, world. I mean, for those across the pond, things will not be much different, For but for golfers in the U.K. and to a slightly lesser extent Europe, there's a fair bit changing. This new world handicap system has been introduced in the U.S. and dozens of other countries in January. And with changes coming to the U.K., Sweden, Portugal, and Italy, that will be November. But for you, if you haven't, if you don't have already a handicap, and let me tell you, surprisingly, 85% of American golfers don't. Why not get one? With the new world handicap system, there are more reasons than ever to do it. Think that you don't play enough? You just need to complete 54 holes to qualify. You think you're not good enough? Hey, the maximum handicap index has been raised 
to 54. So it works for golfers of all skills. Uh, USGA studies show that golfers with handicaps make better connections inside the golf community and play more rounds. Isn't that what we all want? If you don't already belong to a club, you can contact your local Allied Golf Association about getting a handicap. You can expect to pay about $50 to join it, uh, your local association, but that will cover the handicap and other benefits such as competitions, green fee discounts, and more. So, like Fred says, I have to agree. I think there's going to be a little shock at the beginning, but as we all move towards that one universal system, we will all be better for it at the end of the day. Fred, any final words before we go to the final thoughts? No, I thought we covered it. Uh, really thank Dean for coming on and uh, talking to us about it. Uh, he is a uh, true expert in the field of handicapping and slope. And uh should mention also, if you want to learn more about a lot of this, you can go to his website, popeofslope.com, uh, and uh, he's got a bunch of articles there, a bunch of information. Um, and he is uh, he's the guy that helps set up the sloping uh, system in the United States for the USGA. So, He's been doing a long time, and he knows a lot about it, Carlos. With that, we wrap up our practice range on BIG. Thanks to Dean Knuth for helping us here. And now let's go to the final parts. First, John Ram got married recently to longtime girlfriend Kelly Cahill, with Ram capping off an incredible year with the wedding of his dreams. Ram and Cahill were married on December 13th in Spain at Ram's childhood Catholic church, the Basilica of Begonia in Bilbao. Cahill wore a white lace gown while Ram wore a blue tuxedo in the ceremony. Ram and Cahill met back in college at Arizona State and were engaged in the summer of 2018, shortly before the PGA Championship at Bell Reve in August. The couple are now off and running as a married couple. So, John, you know, think about it before getting hot-headed on the courts because you might start to know now what sleeping on the doghouse means. Okay, so be careful. Now, second one, Thornbjörg Olsen has pleaded not guilty to sexual assault and being drunk on an aircraft. He spoke only to confirm his personal details and deny three charges. The Isleworth Crown Court heard the golfer intentionally sexually touched a woman without her consent during a flight from Nashville to London on July 29. Olsen also faces one charge of assault by beating a second person. He was arrested at Heathrow immediately after his return from the WGC St. Jude Invitational at Memphis. Olsen had previously indicated he would enter no not guilty pleas to three charges, both the prosecution and defense are expected to use expert witnesses. He will return to Isleworth Crown Court for his trial starting on May 11 of next year, Fred. Uh, sad news this week. Uh, a former PGA Tour winner, J.L. Lewis, suffered from multiple myeloma and died at the age of 59. So, uh, uh, you know, respects to his family for that. As I mentioned earlier, Brooks Kepka is going to open his season next week at the Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship in Europe. That's a good deal for him. You know, he gets a nice appearance fee to go over there, test his game on the other side of the world, away from the American press. Um, he also announced that uh, he's in for the uh, Honda Classic, which is no surprise because that's a, a home game for him right there in Palm Beach. Um, also, uh, the Golf uh, Writers Association of America announced that uh, – 
Brooks Kepka uh, was named their player of the year. Um, Jin Young Ko is the women player of the year. Um, and she won that back-to-back, 2000, uh, you know, she won. Kepka won back-to-back for player of the year. Jin Young Ko was named female player of the year, uh, beating Nellie Korda by a, a long distance. And Scotty McCarron, of course, was named the uh, Champions Tour Player of the Year. Those awards will be given at the uh, Golf Writers Association of America dinner uh, on Wednesday evening prior to the Masters, April 8th in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, Carlos, I just want to mention before we go tonight that um, we just put up a new golf travel video for my trip to Quivira Resort in Los Cabos, Mexico on Back Night Report TV on Roku and also at BackNightReport.com. Beautiful video. I uh, uh, hope people take time to go and watch that. It's really good stuff. Also, the January issue of Michigan Golf Journal came out today, um, and the um, Ohio Golf Journal will come out, I think, on Thursday. So um, both magazines will be out there this week. Uh, we feature um, Arcadia Bluffs, on the uh, covers this month, both magazines and um, the new course up there, the South Course. They have their new clubhouse open at the South. Uh, really two great golf courses up there. Uh, you're making plans for this summer. Uh, get up to Michigan. Get up to Arcadia Bluffs. Get up to Forest Dunes. Get up to Boyne. Uh, really good stuff up in Michigan. Carlos, that's all I got for you for tonight, January the 7th. You're going to have a new decade, 2020. <coughs> Yes, sir. And that Back Niners wraps up another week of the Back Nine Report. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to our VIG, very important guest of the week, the Popo Slope, Dean Knuth. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio. Or if you missed it, check it out on iTunes or tune in. Also, Roku TV. And if you haven't done so, follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Back Nine Report with the number nine in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres, along with Fred Alvader. We wish to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.